Good morning. How you doing, Baba? I'm doing well. How are you, man? Uh, you know what? I'm here. I'm on. I'm on this side of the grass. So that's all that matters. Um. <laughs> You know, you say that now. You now I've got to ask, what's going on? Oh my God! Where do you want me to begin? Uh, let's start with the good stuff. Uh, let me think here. Uh, I'm working two jobs. Be- yeah. Besides all the stuff that I do for the Fedora Chronicles, and um, try to catch up with all the editing and all of the um, uh, publishing and stuff like that. Not just for me, but for for one of our clients. And uh-huh. so that that's that's my primary occupation, as it were. And the other job, it's like I, I went back and I, I um, I'm working part time. I'm doing 20 hours at the local food, grain and cowboy national franchise. OK. All right. So it's like I see a lot of people who are in the equestrian community and the farming community. And there are times it's like I'm talking to some of these people. I feel like I'm channeling either Kip Wheeler from Yellowstone or Sam Elliott with some of the things that I, I, I say when I'm working. And okay. and, I, 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 and <clears throat> I know that Brian Mitchell has accused me of being rough around the edges and the Fedora Chronicles is rough around the edges. You have uh-huh. no idea how much rougher my edges are. <laughs> and the other job that I work, and I was actually asked by my employer not to talk too much about what it is that we do. Okay. But um, uh, I, I, I see a lot of death. Yeah. <laughs> I see a lot of death. And it makes me realize life is precious, life is short, and it's never too soon to stop giving a fuck. <laughs> okay. So I got that going on. <laughs> so I got that going for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> time, time, when you have a job that reminds you of how precious time is, and yeah. I got really great hours working there, and I'm working with a great bunch of people. And there's not a lot of gallows humor, but there is sometimes. Well, yeah. There, I so I have that going for me. Well, and anytime you're working with a profession that deals with pain and misery and death, yeah, you're going to get that gallows humor. You see it in police, you see it in veterans, you see it in people in the medical industry. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. <sighs> How about you? What do you got? What do you got going on over on your end? I've got really just a a love of my life right now. I had a fantastic weekend, spent a lot of time with my girlfriend, the doctor. We had a great, she baked a beautiful cake. She's, she does cake decorating kind of when friends are in need, so to, so to speak, she used to do it professionally, but it's not something she has time for right now, really. And, um, sees friends of ours are getting married. And she baked cake for him and decorated him with these beautiful flowers that looked absolutely real, but were completely edible. And we delivered that Saturday morning, which was great. She had put the finishing touches on the cake Friday night. And then we went for a hike in the, in the, uh, the, up the hollow is what she calls it. It's um, her neighbor's property by her house. And when I say her neighbor's property, it's like, I want to say somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 acres. So we went for a nice, beautiful hike. Then we had beautiful dinner. We went out, played, sang karaoke, and 
it's just a great weekend of celebrating the people in my life and the uh, the place I live. It was yeah. just, I just had a great time. Because yeah. you, you live in a great place. I really do. Yeah. I really do. So when you get them out to visit. Oh, my God. That's one of the reasons why I'm working two jobs, Baba. <laughs> so anyway, trying to figure out, because the thing is, is that I had this topic all lined up, what it is that I wanted to talk about. And then the Oscars happened. <laughs> so I, I don't watch the Oscars. So right. what happened at the Oscars? I understand that the um, the Oscars were, was uh, was quite the knockout. And uh, so <laughs> Chris Rock was mm-hmm. presenting an Oscar. Okay. And he got up and you know how Chris Rock like turns everything into a joke or oh, it's like he's, he's a comedian that's he, kind of what he does for a living he's so, always yeah. he's always on yeah. as it were he's always he's always being chris rock chris rock is always being chris rock like eric fisk is always being eric fisk more right. so sometimes than others like when i'm working the the feed and cowboy store mm-hmm. and i'm working the register sometimes i slip into my radio voice like the same voices like I use on the podcast and yeah. how I'm very careful not to stutter or say a lot of, uh, and, um, and I, I, I kind of like become a performer. Okay. Right. And I'm, I'm kind of like doing, it's almost like when I'm working the register, I'm doing this performative theater <laughs> and it's like, and I strike up conversations, three minute long conversations with people as they're passing through, through my line. Mm-hmm. And it's like sometimes when you're talking and you're on and you have the adrenaline rush of somebody who is appreciating your humor, I feel that it's okay to push the envelope just a little bit and a little bit more. Okay. Right. And sometimes I'll say things that um, I don't know if this like if I don't know if I've crossed the line until after I've crossed the line. Because this woman was wearing a T-shirt that screamed, I'm an angry, militant, butch feminist. Deal Mm -hmm. with it. T-shirt. Right. Right. And I said, hey, you know, at night, my wife's place is in the kitchen right next to me while I'm doing the dishes. I think that I think that that's funny and self-deprecating at the same time. Or maybe it's not self-deprecating. Because the thing is, is like I'm I'm saying that. Our place is in the kitchen together when it's mealtime. Right. And that's how I explained it when you could tell that she's obviously offended. And I had to explain the joke to one of my bosses. And oh, he's so like, she complained. I guess she did complain. And, right. he, <laughs> and he kind of freaking laughed it off. Yeah. And I explained to him and it's like, he's like, how the fuck could she get offended by that? Unle- unless you wanted to be offended. Or she wasn't paying attention to what you said. And she stopped listening after you said a woman's place is in my wife's place is in the kitchen. Right. Which is probably the more likely she didn't even right. hear the rest of what you right. said. Right. And every everybody else in line got the fucking joke. Right. And it's like saying like there are like women who are like nodding their heads saying, yeah, that's yeah, I gotcha. Yep. You know, and it was just like you took offense because you wanted to take offense. Right. OK, so Will Smith was in the audience with his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, 
And if you don't know this already, because I didn't realize this until this morning, Jada Pinka Smith has a talk show called The Round Table or The Red Table. Oh, okay. Or something I did like not that. I know that, but okay. And talks about real serious issues that their family is going through. It's kind of like the Kardashians after show. Oh, okay. If they have one where it's like they're all talking about like what's real, what's going on in their lives. And it's, it's real talk from the Smiths. Okay. Okay. And I don't have the page, the show page up on my screen for Jada Pika Smith's um, show, whatever it's called. I guess it's okay. called The Table or whatever. And right. one of the things that she's been talking about is how she is having or had an affair on her husband, Will Smith, with this singer whose name I've never heard of. Okay. This is what happens when you reach the age of 45 to 55. You <laughs> And your warranty gives out. <laughs> and your warranty gives out. I have no idea who the fuck these people are. Uh-huh. Like if I like see like something on the news about the Grammys, yeah. I, I like look at my wife and I say, "Who the fuck are all these people?" Right. Is you know, is, is whatever happened to Duran Duran? <laughs> Whatever happened to the Eurythmics and the Kinks? See, see now there are members of Duran Duran that are asking that same question. Whatever happened to us? I what don't a, even know if they're <clears throat> British. <laughs> Whatever happened to us, Lev? We did this kick-ass song for the James Bond movie, and now we're no one. Exactly. Meeting you with a view to a kill. Oh, that, uh, that was, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah I man. I didn't know that was them. Um, those are some groovy sounds, man. Songs right. for the songs for the gun range by Eric Fisk. So anyway, <laughs> so Chris Rock was in the zone and he was cracking wise. Yep. And he, like he does now. And one of the things is that Jada Pinka Smith has a condition that's causing her to lose all of her hair. And Chris Rock cracked a joke saying, I can't wait to see you in gi jane too it's gonna it, and will smith laughed at that joke uh -huh. and then you could tell that his wife jada looked at him and she's offended so will right. smith got up out of his chair walked on stage and apparently punched chris rock oh on, okay on live television now, this wasn't like a prepared thing or anything. This wasn't I have, like part of an act or anything. I have no idea. Okay. Because I, I could have sworn that Chris Rock and Will Smith were friends or at least had been in the past. Yeah. I remember reading that somewhere. But anyway, go ahead. Not sure if it's a punch or a slap. Okay. <laughs> but you could actually see it and you could actually see there was contact made. So he, he literally slapped. Slap the shit out of them then. Yeah. All right. That not sure how that is appropriate for the Oscars or really anywhere, but you know, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. And so, the, so there's a big kerfuffle about it. I imagine there's a big kerfuffle about this the the entire situation, as it were. Oh wait a minute! No wait a minute! The situation is a rap song, rap rap artist, I guess. Isn't that that dude that used to take his shirt off all the time on the, uh, on the the, um, Jersey Shore? Uh, uh, okay. Yes, I, I guess. I guess. Anyway, I guess. Oh, and by the way, it's Red Table Talk. 
I thought oh. I I thought Red Table Talk was a brand of um, uh, really risque baking goods here in the Wing- New England area. Ah, oh, I mean, that would be blue, I would think. But anyway, go ahead. All right. So did I get to the part about how everybody knows that Jada Pinkett Smith was having or is having an affair? Yeah, you had mentioned that she had said it on her right. on her show. So it would be, I would consider, common knowledge. Common knowledge. And yeah. so <laughs> you'll punch Chris Rock for making a joke about how your wife is going bald. And I understand that that's, that's in bad taste. And it's like it's a health condition. She can't help it. That's like making a joke about Rock Hudson getting AIDS during the Oscars. It's right. not, he can't help that condition. Right. You know, it would be like cracking a joke about how, how crooked my teeth are. I can't help it. Okay. That's just the way it is. That's the card I was dealt. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that how is it that Will Smith is not freaking throwing hands against the man that she's having an affair with? Or had an affair with? Or had an affair with. See, I'm thinking it completely differently. I'm thinking, in all honesty, holy shit, this is the first time someone's talked about the Oscars in years. (laughs) Because, let's be honest, how many movies of all of these have you actually seen? Uh, Probably none. I, I mean, I haven't paid attention to the Oscars in, I would say... I would say decades, actually. I haven't really given a happy shit about the Oscars and what's going on because it's just a Hollywood circle jerk where they congratulate each other for who played make-believe the best. Yeah. You know? And I mean, on, on the one hand, I have friends that are kind of in that industry, so I don't denigrate it too much because, you know, it, it matters to them. It's it's their industry, you know? Right. And... So you're not going to pick on things that your friends are into and it matter to them. Right. But at the same time, I just don't care. I just don't give a shit. About the Oscars. I really don't, you know. And one thing that I know people have been talking about in political circles is how, especially in the past few years, since the Oscars have been used by the actors winning them as a platform to denigrate the plebes who don't make millions doing make-believe how we're not voting the right way and how the people that we may support politically are really assholes and all this other kind of shit, right? And they take this opportunity to put themselves and elevate themselves above us and put us down. And so the Oscars rankings have been tanking in terms of viewership. Bet you next year there'll be more Oscar viewers. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that you're going to be like watching the Oscars to see, well, who gets punched this year? Right. Because I don't mean to sound like a jerk or sour grapes or whatever, but I'm looking at these films that were nominated. And, I'm, and, and, the, and the last one I'm going to mention on this list is, is a direction that I wanted to go with you this morning. Okay. All right. So the winner, best motion picture of the year was this movie called Coda. I've never heard of it. Okay. Okay. I'm a huge movie aficionado and I've never heard of Coda. Neither have I. Okay. Belfast, which is Kenneth Branagh's passion project about, well, I guess Belfast, 
I'm one more to assume. Okay. Um, let me just scroll here. Here, a young boy in his working class Belfast family experienced the tum- tumultuous late 1960s. Okay, haven't seen it. And, yep. it lo- and it looks like it's something that's like right up my eye uh, alley or up my aisle because yep. it's in black and white. Oh, definitely up your aisle. I-, I love black and white films. Now I watched Don't Look Up, and I was going to write about Don't Look Up. And how it's a parable for the lab leak hypothesis okay. or global warming. We, we can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Drive my car. Never seen this movie. Never heard of this movie until this morning. Literally right now. King Richard. Like somebody else did a, another rendition of King Richard. Um, one of my one of my favorite diesel punk movies is called Richard the Third with Ian McGlellan. I think his name is. And it was just like, it's a diesel punk oh, 1930s, 40s version. Okay, King Richard? Yeah. King Richard is not the Shakespearean play. Oh. King Richard is actually, um, I actually, I think Will Smith is in it. It's oh. about Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena that's Williams, how little tennis I, players. That's, that's how little I fucking know. Right. That's how little I know. I thought it was another take on <laughs> Richard the Third. Yeah, it came up on my feed for Netflix or... <laughs> hulu or one of the other dozen things i subscribe to licorice pizza first of all sounds disgusting the story of alana kane and gary valentine growing up running around and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the san fernando valley 1973 okay it looks like something that my son might be interested in it looks uh-huh. it, it it looks like an updated version of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, judging by the movie poster. Okay. And you can't judge a movie based on the poster. Oh, of course not. And of course, the thing is, is that I, since I grew up during the 70s and 80s, you know what? Maybe I should watch this movie. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's fallen off my radar. Right. West Side Story. I don't give a fuck who you are. I don't care that you're freaking Steven Spielberg. There's some things you should never, ever fucking do in this remake classic movies. I don't think that West Side Story needed to be remade. But this well, I will I will disagree with you a little bit on that. I don't think that West Side Story needed to be made, but there are some classic movies that should not be remade. Like Casablanca, for example. Right. No one should remake Casablanca. You know, it's it's lightning in a bottle. Everyone knows it. And every and other than Madonna wanting to remake it to fulfill some sort of fantasy she has about being Ilsa, Ilsa, um, Ingrid Bergman. Well, Ingrid Bergman's character, Ilsa, whatever her last name is. Anyway, Ilsa Lund. Lund. Thank you. You know, other than that, no one has made any moves to remake Casablanca that I'm aware of. But I would agree with you in that. You know, the West Side Story. Doesn't need to be remade. You didn't. First of yeah. all, it's a very dated period piece. Yeah, you know the. It's. I mean, you, I suppose you could view it as some sort of allegory about um, racism against Hispanics in New York in the nineteen fifties, but it's Romeo and Juliet is all it is. Why would you need to remake that? If you're going to remake Romeo and Juliet, remake Romeo and Juliet. Why do a remake of a remake or a reimagining? Excuse me. Anyway, 
Now, here's the other thing that I want to just insert here really quickly. Apparently, Robert Redford's movie Havana was a soft remake of Casablanca. And that's something I don't again, I don't care who you are. You don't touch classic freaking movies. You don't remake Citizen Kane. You, oh, no. do, you don't remake the Maltese Falcon. No, you don't remake Raiders of the Lost Ark. And no, you wait for Disney to try and re- reinvent it all on their own. And if you do, and if you do, I will hunt you down. I will break all of your fingers and I will burn all the prints. You don't remake these classic films. And it was just like, even though it was directed by Sidney Pollack and it starred Robert Redford, Lena Olin and Alan Arkin, you don't touch Casablanca. No, you don't. You don't put baby in a corner. And you don't remake Casablanca. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. Um, Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley is one of those films. It's obviously a period film. Mm -hmm. Film noir. It looks brilliant. I haven't had the time to watch it yet. Right. And, and, and And I feel bad about that. Now, the last movie on this list that I wanted to talk to you about. I've been thinking about this topic like literally all week. Okay. What is a woman? And what is a man? And That's a movie? No, no, no. The, the, oh, okay. the question, because the thing is, is that Sam Elliott did an interview on a podcast that I was listening to while I was driving. Mm-hmm. And Sam Elliott was talking about how there haven't been any good Westerns in quite a long time. And how 1883, right. which is a brilliant show. And it's it's an epic TV show. Carol and I watched it. And uh, I mean, we couldn't wait to watch every new episode. It's okay. 1883, which is a prequel to Yellowstone. Oh, all right. All it, right. It, and it's like, how did John, how did the Dutton family settle in Montana? And it reminds me of what it was like falling in love while reading the book Lonesome Dove after seeing the miniseries. The miniseries is great with Robert Duvall and... Uh, Tommy Lee Jones. It's phenomenal. The book, while the book is, while the the miniseries is faithful to the book, there's so much there in the book that is simply phenomenal. And it was just like, I get goosebumps thinking about how in 1989, I was this big, huge sci-fi nerd, but I had the urge to read the book after watching the miniseries. And mm-hmm. it was just like there were just chapters that just I mean, there's a reason why it won a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, it's a phenomenal book. 1883 is like reading Lonesome Dove for the first time. Oh, OK. All right. Hang on. Sarah. I, mean, I suppose I'm going to have to watch um, Yellowstone and then watch that because I haven't even seen Yellowstone yet. So with that said, Sam Elliott was talking about how they don't make Westerns anymore. Mm-hmm. And why is it that everything has to be like a message? Why is it that everything has to be a battle in the war against masculinity? Right. And he goes after this movie, The Power of the Dog, which is supposed to be a modern take and a takedown on masculinity and Westerns. And Sam Elliott had said some things that were unkind to Jane Campion's movie. And how it's not a Western and it disparages masculine men while celebrating 
feminized men. Okay. This is sort of like when where we wade into the dark waters <sighs> of why I wanted to do a podcast talking about the taboo topics that I wasn't allowed to talk about in other people's forums and groups. And you're not even allowed to have this conversation on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere else on social media. What right. does it mean to be a man? What is the definition of a man? And notice how when you talk about what does it mean to be a woman or what is a woman? People lose their shit. Find example. I'm looking here at <clears throat> a article from the New York Times. A demand to define woman injects gender politics into Jackson's confirmation hearings. March 23rd, 2022, Jonathan Wiseman. And the photo capture here is Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee, asked Judge Kanadi Brown Jackson if she could provide a definition of the word woman. And Republicans have spent hours this week trying to portray Judge Jackson as an extremist on the issues of race and apologists for child sexual abusers. Late Tuesday, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, added another social issue to the list of cultural grievances the GOP is foistering upon her in her confirmation hearings. Gender. Specifically, what makes a woman a woman? Transgender rights are dominating outrage on the right after the Republican governors of Indiana and Utah voted to ban voted bans on the participation of transgender women in women's sports in recent days as a transgender swimmer leah thomas won a collegiate swimming championship mrs blackburn brought that swimmer up late tuesday as judge jackson's first day of questioning was coming to a close then asked can you provide a definition for the word woman and she and other judicial nominees before her have done regularly, Judge Jackson dodged the question as outside of her role on the bench, saying, I'm not a biologist. Now, I have been studying this topic since the age of maybe 12 or 13. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not a biologist, but I'd like to consider my years of research into this topic and tell you, that there is a definite difference between men and women. Right. Okay. A man There's actually more than one, but yeah. Right. And I know that this is a touchy subject. And I know it that is. this is this is probably a touchy subject for you as well, because one of the people that you're taking care of happens to be transgender. And I have right. two friends, and I consider myself close friends of these two people. And I know that this is an issue. That's fraught with danger. My problem with the entire conversation is that the minute that you ask the question or you bring it up, what is a woman? People lose their minds. People freak out over this topic. Right. And it, in part because it's so politically charged. And to be honest, there is a segment of the people listening to this show that have probably already turned it off because you and I being male can't possibly understand or even are allowed to talk about what makes a woman a woman. Going yeah. back to what you said earlier about the that woman that was in your checkout line, they're not even going to listen any further because as men, we don't get to say what makes a woman a woman. 
But at the same time, women are able to define what makes a man a man and what toxic masculinity is. I would like to know what I would like a clear cut definition of toxic masculinity. I really would. I, I would because too. it seems to change by the whims of the person that you're talking to based on either things they don't like about men or based on things that they've seen other men do that they just don't understand, right? So it's a very, I mean, this highway's got a lot of potholes in it and some of them have no fucking landmines. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I, I, I know. And I know that this is really controversial. Right. And I'm, I'm not shying away from talking about it, but I, I want our listeners to understand that we understand that this is, you know, we're, we're, we're treading in dangerous territory right now and we're both acutely aware of it. Oh, absolutely. We are, we are very aware of the fact that this is very dangerous. And it's like, this is like an invitation for us to be canceled by certain people who absolutely. don't, who don't even want us to have this conversation. Right. And I mean, we can get into what is wrong with even having the conversation if we want, but the truth of the matter is, is we, you and I as men are not allowed to have an opinion on what makes a woman, but for some reason, a woman is allowed to define what makes a man a man, right? As you said, Sam Elliott was complaining about how anything that's deemed masculine is automatically deemed toxic. Yeah. Because right now we're, we have a dishonest debate on the topic, right? Yes. You've got people that are pushing for trans people and I have a soft spot for trans people. They're going through some heavy shit. Yes. The suicide rate in the trans community is north of 40%, depending on what study you read. It's either 47% or 45%. Those are the two numbers I've seen most consistently. That's almost half. Yeah, it's awful. That is almost half. Now, there's also an element and some of the trans people that I've spoken with are very hyper aware of this. There are people who claim to be trans that are not because of the sympathy that they can get from the general population. Right. And people who are genuinely trans don't like them because they're how to, how to phrase this. They're diffusing the issue. Right. Now they're trying to create some sort of privilege for out of, being trans and it's not a privilege it's a horrible thing to be going through where you don't feel like you're in the right body that's a massive psychological mind fuck right yes and these people are trying to gain some advantage out of it so people who are truly trans are just trying to figure their shit out and then you've got these other people who are trying who are basically opportunists that are diluting the message right and when you see someone like this swimmer that won the gold medal in the all-state championships, you have to ask, were they so looking for the gold that they, you know, that they took advantage of biology and a political movement to kind of jump gates and be able to do that? Be interested to see if 10 years down the road, if the person who won gold is still living as a woman or not. What's going to happen with Leah Thomas? Right. Over the next couple of years. Right. And that's the only thing that's going to tell us whether Leah is a opportunist or is genuinely trans. Because here's the thing, too, that I've noticed in my dealings with trans people. 
there is a veritable bucket load of psychological issues that go along with being trans. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but competing in high-stress environments uh, like collegiate-level athletics, generally speaking, if you've got a laundry list of psychological issues, you're not going to have the wherewithal to compete in that arena with any degree of success because the slightest setback is going to set you off on one of your psychological issues. Right. Right. Now, trans people I know spend a lot of time and effort combating those things. Some of them end up having a hard time just having a day job, a regular job that they hold down. And this person is competing at a high level athletic competition that's, you know, that's notoriously high stress. I don't know. There's something about that that says to me opportunism more than this person needs help. If they were truly trans, who's their therapist that they're going to, that they're seeing? Right. You know, what else, what diagnoses have been given? What treatments are they on? Are they taking estrogen or did they put it off and, until the end of the competition season? You know, are they being treated for it, but not interested in transitioning because that's another thing. There are trans people who are not interested in pursuing the surgery for transitioning. Right. Because they're, 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 they're happy being, I don't know if the word intersex um, is. I wouldn't say happy. I would say content. Content with being intersex. Yeah. Like being trans, somebody who is in the constant state of, of being both male and female and they identify their pronouns are they them and there and there yeah and it's like that's their life that's the the way that they want to live their life they've made choices and that right and that that just because you know and it was just like the trans the danger the danger that i want to make sure people understand the danger is thinking that there's they're settled on that. And I say settled because there's there's nothing that you can really do if you feel like you're living in the wrong body to really right. help with that. Because that statistic of 45 or 47% suicide also include those who have transitioned. Yeah. Not every transsexual will be satisfied by the transition because what ends up happening is it's cosmetic. They look like a woman. They're accepted by a woman in society. And for some people, that does the, the trick, so to speak, that, that helps them and gets them over whatever hurdle that they need to get over to be able to live their lives and not feel like they're living a lie. But for other people, they feel even more like a fraud after the surgery. And they feel even more like they're living a lie. So it's it's a very, very complex psychological issue and it's a very hard-hitting one so for someone to have that level of of body issues and being in athletics that's hard well it's it's hard for them but at the same time it's hard for me as someone on the outside looking in and understanding that to think there isn't a little at least a little bit of self-aggrandizement going on there right and let's be honest in sports there's a reason why men and women don't compete at the same time Right. They don't compete against each other. The Olympics have a women's sports and men's sports. Yeah. And if you look at them, everything from powerlifting to uh, rate running races, swimming races, 
Look at the differences in times. Look at the differences in weights between men and women. Men are more physically attributed in that way. They're more, I don't want to say gifted, but they're more physically inclined because of the testosterone that runs through our system during our transition from adolescence into adulthood, right? Yeah. As we're going through puberty. It's just a fact of life. It is a fact of science. And for someone to say, go into another sport or go into a sport where they're going to have a clear-cut advantage because of the years of testosterone they've had going through, raging through their systems and that those hormones that go along with it against women who do not have that, that is an unfair advantage. And that's, to my knowledge, that's the complaint that the woman who won second place in that competition, that's her point, is she's like, this person had an unfair advantage. There's no way I could compete against a male. You wouldn't put me in a swimming competition against, a, against men. So why is that person who identifies as female allowed to compete in a women's competition? And so I actually understand the point of the Republicans in why they're asking her to define a woman. I, I get why they're doing it. I also get why it's unfair to ask, right? Right. I get why the judge answered why she did. I do. I understand that. But it's also very, very clear because the president himself said it. He's appointing her as a token black woman to put on the Supreme Court. He actually ran on that as part of his platform. Right. And the first chance he gets, he's going to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. And now right. this black woman will not provide a definition of the word woman. Well, and also this black woman, if a point, if, if her appointee goes through for appointment goes through, is going to be sitting on a court that may very well have this topic come up before them. Oh, you know what will. You know what will. Well, yeah, but that and that's the that's the political gotmanship that the Republicans are practicing. If she's already on record, then they can say she needs to recuse herself, right? It's a dirty political trick, but it's no different than having someone come out and say, "He raped me when I was in my when we were in college together." I don't have any witnesses and I've never really told anybody, but he raped me or he fondled her or molested her or whatever, or whatever. you know, uh, right. Blase Ford no, said this move by the Republicans is no less sleazy than that. Right. Oh, it's 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 all sleazy. It's all sleaze all the time. Politics it is. is sleaze. Poli it truly is. I mean, politics is like a narcotic drug or or like reality TV on steroids. It has sex, violence, political intrigue. It has these wild characters. It's the greatest soap opera mankind has ever cooked up. Right. It's the soap opera before there were ever soap operas. And, and you, you, you know that they're playing a game of gotcha. But on top of that, I've been dealing with issues about what does it mean to be a man? Since the age of 13. Well, and how are we supposed to define that for our children, right? I feel I feel bad for any young man growing up. Oh, yeah. Going through puberty right now. People in high school and, and college at this age. Because 
especially the people who are like at the end of their college career, because for a while there, there was no one defending them. Anything male was toxic. It's, we actually kind of sort of start having to have that conversation now of, okay, so you have young men growing up in school where they're told through the curriculum, through everyone in a position of authority in society, that them being male, especially a white male, they're sexist, they're racist, and they're evil. They are the embodiment of evil. Every single one of them is a little Hitler. Yeah. That's how they're portrayed. In spite of the fact that Hitler wasn't a misogynist, but whatever. That's how they're portrayed. Now, I don't want people to think I'm defending Hitler. Hitler was a fucking asshole. Right. But I'm just saying people are multifaceted, right? So now you have these young men that are growing up and they're heterosexual. They're cisgender. They're like, I am a man. I am becoming a man. I am male and I am white. And they're told everything about them is negative and evil. Yeah. I don't know. Depending on the person, you're going to have some people that are going to, you know, go into a depressive state over it. You're going to have other people like, well, if I'm evil anyway, I might as well do whatever the fuck I want. I've had this conversation as well. If I've already been branded as the villain, then I might as well be the best villain I can be. Right. If and you wanted a villain, you wanted evil. Let's fucking do it. I can't. You know what I mean? I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. If I'm going to be falsely accused of doing something. And I'm going to be punished for doing something I didn't even do. Then I might as well just do the thing that I'm accused of doing. That's what right. you that's what you've set up. Exactly. That's that is the mindset that is cooked into this entire situation. Now, well, it's and it's a no win scenario for these young men that are going through this. Now, I'm not saying that this, that compares to the plight that women have gone through for centuries of misogyny, institutionalized misogyny. I recognize that women weren't allowed to vote or own property in the United States until the 1800s. OK, part of that is what drove the Mormon church to actually do polygamist marriages as a way to combat that reality because you would have a Mormon got Mormon family move in, they would buy land, they would start farming the land. Someone else would look at the land, say, I want that land, kill him. Now she can't own that property. So now it goes up for auction and then they buy the they buy the property. You know, that's a historical fact as well. So women had to fight to get the right to vote. Women had to fight basically for just legal personhood. Yeah. And that's not what young men are going through. But the response to that, that injustice from history is not to destroy the next generation of young men. You know what I'm saying? Neither is it to allow people who are going through a serious psychological issue to take it or allow people to take advantage of those people that are going through a psychological issue. If that, if Leah, that swimmer, if she is not genuinely trans, she should be sued. Yes. She should have that metal stripped from her. It should be given to the woman, the woman that actually won, not the trans woman that actually won. Maybe the solution is to have trans sports instead of male and female sports. Right. Yeah. And I find it so fascinating that in the interest of racism, we have segregation, right? We've come full circle, you know? We call them safe spaces, but how is that any different than this room is for 
the colored people and this room is for the white people. You've got a colored people, you've got a people of color safe space. How is that any different? Even the terminology is disturbingly similar, right? I think we're, we're at a point where things are going to an extreme and it's going too far in the extreme. We need to, to take advantage, not take advantage. We need to give every assistance we can to those poor people, those unfortunate people. And I don't want to say poor people, but those people who are unfortunately going through sexual dysmorphia, they need help. Some of them need expensive surgery, right? Some of them do not. And our psychologists clearly do not understand everything that's going on. Otherwise, the suicide rate wouldn't be so fucking high. Exactly. In the interest of preserving humanity and preserving human lives, we need to understand that more. And allowing people to take a political advantage of that situation, that psychological disorder, for their own self-aggrandizement is horribly wrong. But how is it how, – what's the fair outcome of this, Right. Because what if Leah is genuinely trans and her competition is a way for her to find some value in herself? Right. Then her ability to compete is actually of psychological importance to her. When does the one out need when do the the wants of the one outweigh the needs of the many? When does the want of the one outweigh the want of the many? See, in every case is different. Right. Is being fair to Leah being unfair to all the other competitors? How do you reconcile that? I'm glad that I don't have to make the decision. I don't have to make that choice. Me too. All I can say is, is that if I was one of those girls or women who were competing against somebody who was a biological male and had a physiological difference or... um advantage i would be pissed because the thing you see you see leah thompson or leah thomas standing with all the other girls obviously there is a significant advantage leah thomas difference anyway leah thomas has more muscle mass has a bigger stature i guess because leah thomas is taller than all the other girls Mm-hmm. by some of them even more than a foot and a half. Obviously, there is a physical advantage. Right. Leah Thomas had a physical advantage over all of the other. Now, of course, now that Leah Thomas, um, I guess, came in last in the final competition, she's out of collegiate swimming. Leah Thomas's career is done as, right. as and a now swimmer. What's, now, now what's... what's now what's going on with her at this point? Is she going to continue her transition? Because if if she is genuinely trans, that's what I would expect to happen. If she is not, then I would expect that she doesn't continue with the transition. However, given the nature of our media and our political discourse, we're not going to know. I guarantee you we won't hear one damn thing about her anymore because it's already done and over with right yeah so the thing that we need to know as a society is was she genuinely trans or was she just taking advantage is the one thing we're probably not going to learn time will tell time is going to tell now the other aspect to this entire thing Mm -hmm. that i wanted to discuss with my closest friend Mm -hmm. somebody who is 
I've known you as long as I've known Carol, or almost as long. Pretty damn okay. close anyway, yeah. Besides Carol, I don't think anybody else knows me as well as you do, okay? Okay. Now, I have been struggling for literally decades with the question, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man in the guise of being um, a better husband, a better father, a better citizen what does it what does it mean to be a man and with this context hold these two thoughts in your head simultaneously when i was in high school i i was a wimp i was a tall scrawny nerd okay mm-hmm. i was i was like five uh, nine and i weighed 98 pounds i was a scrawny dork and I can say this because I was a scrawny dork and I was pretty unlikable because of some other psychological issues. Perfect example. People used to walk up to my mother all the time when we were out in public spaces and people used to walk up and say, oh, my God, your children have such beautiful red hair right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And it was just like and I was fucking invisible and I was a bit of a fucking snot about it. And I, the last time that we were out together in public in, in the 1980s, it was probably early 1987, some old woman walked up to my mother and said, your children have such beautiful red hair. And I said, well, what the fuck am I, you old bitch? Jesus, dude. What the fuck is wrong with you? What makes you think it's okay for you to walk up to a woman and say, your children have such beautiful red hair with me? Just any, what the fuck am I? Am I not her fucking kid? Right. And and, and I probably overreacted. <laughs> I'm going to say yes, you overreacted. Okay. Go out on the limb there. And it was, and, and I had always dealt with, with feelings of being excluded and being shut in. And because of my mother's emotional problems and her mental issues, we were not allowed to participate too much because my mother thought that people were stalking us and taking photographs of us. And she was afraid that somebody associated with my dad would kidnap us. And most of the time we spent most of the time indoors watching TV or playing with our toys or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like maybe around 1983 or 84, we were allowed to go out and just experience life. And I had a lot of catching up to do. And now, it, just for the benefit of those who don't know, you are the oldest of three children that were in the house, right? Right, right. right. And while my mother expected a lot of me, I was also severely punished for whatever it is that happened in the house when she wasn't there. But she would often leave my sister in charge because my sister was, quote, more mature, unquote. Now, what's the age difference between you and your sister? About a year and a half. So your your younger sister was put in charge of you because she was, quote, unquote, more mature. Right. So this actually does explain a bit on why you want to know what is it that makes a man. Yeah. Oh, right. absolutely. absolutely. And, and, and by the way, I think that be, because of my issues, dealing with this issue is the reason why my psychiatrist was able to send her grandson to summer camp. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For the entire right. summer. Okay. And yeah. now how come I, I wasn't able to get girlfriends and, and do all the normal things that other kids my age were able to do up until 1987, the summer of 1987, I actually had my first real girlfriend mm-hmm. and do things that adolescent boys are dying to do. Right. As, and as soon as I moved in with my dad and my dad and my dad used to give me these long lectures about what the fuck does it mean to be a man? And my dad would define if I didn't do something right. Like if I, you want to talk about traumatizing, you want to talk about emotional damage. Just try and hold the flashlight with you for your dad while he's working on the car in the middle of the night. <laughs> and I kind of like went through the, 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 the Fisk masculinity boot camp with my dad over the course of the first couple of months that we were together. I got my I got my driver's license when I was like, you know, um, when I was almost 19 or almost 20, I was able wow. to I was able to go out on dates. I was able to like my dad, like taught me how to read a fucking map, do the kind of things that men needed to do. And my dad right. had this grocery list inside of his head of things that men need to learn how to do to be a man. Right. And I almost sounded just like him there for a second. My dad and my dad was this fucking angry prick and he would rail against how there's a war against masculinity and why are men expected to be such pussies and you see these men along the side of the road who can't change a fucking tire or they don't know how to start a campfire or they can't change the oil in their own car. Or they don't know how to put up an antenna for their ham radios, or they're not even into ham radio, or they're not not mechanically inclined. Why are there so many pussies in the world, and how is it that they're able to fornicate and propagate? What the fuck is wrong with this culture? That's not me speaking so much as my dad speaking. We would go on these long road trips listening to the Moody Blues and other music talking about this as a, what does it mean to be a man? Right. And we would talk about how, you know, words taken out of context and, and, and stuff like that. And how can you be a better man, a more masculine man to such an extent that women actually want to be with you? How is it that Sean Connery is a man and Pee Wee Herman isn't. Do you right. th- do you think that Sean Connery is getting more tail or less tail than Pee Wee Herman? Why? Because women that are worth having like masculine men. Well, and you could argue that the very language that's being used there, having a woman, is very misogynist in nature. Right? We're talking about my dad. No, I understand that. I understand that. But I'm just I'm just saying that, you know, people who don't understand what it's like to grow up as a as a male, especially in the, the 1980s, when you had like rock stars that were out there wearing, you know, women's shirts and, you know, twisted sister out there in makeup and basically doing a drag show. Right. While at the same time, we had movies like Porky's yeah. being run. Where it's like, you know, getting laid is so important in life. And it, 
You know what I mean? It it was a really weird time to grow <laughs> up in. Yeah. It, it really was. I mean, we we had all of this this shit going on, right? Yeah. People were still talking about Vietnam for fuck's sake. Oh, yeah. We pulled out of Vietnam years ago. And, you know, the damage it had done to the veterans and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, you had movies like, uh, what, what was that one? Um, what? It took place in Texas where the, uh, um, geez, I can't remember the name of it. It actually had uh, Jason Connery in it. But anyway. You know, you had all of these movies that are basically aggrandizing the people who really were torturing people like you and I. Yeah. You know, the kids who didn't belong or didn't get along or whatever. You know what I mean? You had you had them being put on a pedestal, really. Yeah. You know, and so when you have someone like you or I who were, you know, we were the band geeks, we were the, the nerds. nerds, we were the, you know, we, we were the ones that, well, yeah, now in society it's very valued and hell, even Dungeons and Dragons, which I played a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. Even that is something that people are like, oh, that's so cool. You know what I mean? I've had people that used to pick on me for playing Dungeons and Dragons tell me how they love Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, don't give me that shit. You were giving me shit from fifth grade to twelfth <laughs> yeah, grade because yep. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, and you were saying, calling me a fairy and a fag and saying right. I wanted to dress in a, you know, put on a dress. And it's like, and now you're saying it's cool. Why? Because Joe Mangianello looks like a stud of a dude, and he's married to Sophia Vergara, and he plays Dungeons and Dragons. Is you're, that why it's cool now? You're tossing out all these names, and I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's old i am you don't now. care about dungeons and dragons man no it's because i don't care about fucking celebrities you know <laughs> well there's that too but but yeah you know and it's it, it was a difficult weird strange time to grow up so when you're trying to find out what a man is you're getting bombarded with all these conflicting right. messages yep like in your case from from your dad your dad's telling you what it means to be a man means getting laid. I mean, my dad was telling me what it means to be a man is protecting those you care about and those you love. Let's give my dad some credit because my dad was talking about how to be a man, you have to be able to accomplish certain things. You have to be proficient on how to do something exceptionally well. You have to pick a field and then become the best at it, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever field you're in, whatever, you should be the best in that You need field, to strive to be the best. Like, like, whatever it is you want to do. He didn't talk in this phrase because he didn't know who the fuck Tom Brady was. But if he was alive today, my dad would say, you need to get your fucking head out of your ass, get a cup of coffee and a pack of cigarettes, sit down at your fucking desk and figure out how are you going to be the Tom Brady and whatever the fuck it is that you want to do and stop fucking whining, stop crying and stop mooning over this girl that you will never, ever be with and start focusing on the girls that you can be with. That's who my dad was to me. Right. But at the same time, though, he was saying a lot of misogynist things. But that message right there, that one encapsulation of a message you need to strive to be the best at whatever it is you're doing. That is an important message. That's not toxic. There's nothing toxic about that. 
that's how you end up with people like Elon Musk. Right. Because they're striving to be the best at what they do. Right. That's how you end up with people like, you know, um, Albert Einstein or Stephen Hawking that drive to be the best at what you do is how you end up with all of these great people. Right. In our society. That's a great message. It doesn't matter if you're talking to your to a young man or a young woman. Be the best at what you you know, strive to be the best at what you do is not a bad message. It's not a toxic message, right? And yet that's lumped in because it was used by a crass man who was, let's be honest, rather misogynist. No. Now it's <laughs> now it's just because that one message is in there. That message is now lumped in with toxic masculinity. Oh, yeah. So now where are you here trying to raise young men? How are you supposed to teach them what toxic masculinity is when you don't even know what it is yourself because you're being told different things by different people? Right. Now, at the same time, while we're having this conversation, about six or nine months ago, mm -hmm. one of my bosses pulled me aside and said one of my underlings at the DNA kit replicator said, I need to be written up because I'm too masculine. How is that a problem? And I asked him, what exactly did I do that was so bad? And it's just, you're too masculine. What the fuck does that even mean? Should I shave my beard? Should I put on a dress every Thursday? What the what the fuck am I supposed to do? What the fuck that? does that even mean? Now, and this guy was cut from the same cloth as my dad. He's the same generation as my mm -hmm. dad, where it was just like you looked up to men like um, Steve McQueen or John Wayne or yeah. you know Paul Newman, Sean Connery, mm -hmm. um, Clint Eastwood, like that kind that cut of of cloth right there. Yep. Right. And it was just like and he looked at me and he says, the the fuck do I know? Yeah, because he was being written up for being too much of a boss. But that was his fucking job was to be the boss and say, this is the work that we need to get done. And he was fucking gruff and, you know, rough around the edges. He you know. Right. And it's like he had no edges that were able to be fucking smoothed out. And it's like, what the fuck did I do? To be too masculine. And what my question is, why is that a problem, being too masculine? What does that mean and why is that a problem? You know, it's like if a woman goes to work at a manufacturing facility and she wears really tight pants and a, and a tight shirt and shows off her figure, should she be fired for being too feminine? You know, and while we're at it, sexual harassment is based upon not the feelings of the person being harassed, but on how they, how much, how attractive they find the person saying the comment. There's all these mixed messages. We don't know. It's all so, so fucking subjective. How am I supposed to prepare my kid? How am I supposed to assist this, this kid that's living with me, who's going through this awful thing of, of not understanding what gender she is, how am I supposed to help her through when I can't even identify what a fucking gender is? Exactly. And you're not allowed to. Right. That's the other thing that really fucking pisses me off is that the conversation about what it means to be a man is somehow triggering to people. 
and you need to be deplatformed for having the conversation. What does it mean to be a man? And the, and one of the things that I'm trying to teach my sons is that there are certain things you need to learn how to do. And I have said to my sons, you need to figure out what it is that you want to do for the rest of your life, for the next 20 years of your life, and figure out how to be the best you can be in that field, period. My dad's dad's whole thing was, and I kind of admire him for this to some small extent, whereas I would like wonder, how is it I'm not able to get dates and, and, and be with girls the way like my brother Steve was. Steve was a sex god. Steve was a much taller, more handsome version of me. Okay. And okay. He, he, he was the top salesman of all of Eastern New York and all of New England. And he was he was dating or banging, as he would call it, some of the most beautiful women I had ever seen at the time. How can Mm -hmm. I be more like Steve? And my dad would say, you need to figure out how you can be the best at something. Right. And that in and of itself is not a bad message. It's actually a pretty terrific message. If you want a better life, be the best at something where people would say, oh, my God, you're the best at blank. I want to take my clothes off for you. You know, and maybe that's freaking. Maybe we phrase it a little better. Maybe we phrase that a little better. (laughs) But it was like my dad's whole thing was nobody wants anything to do with you because you're a fucking loser, and that fucking hurts. Well, it does, and but it's also hurts because of the because of the the terminology and phraseology he's using. Right, it's the language that's so important here. Right, so he comes across as a toxic masculine because he's saying he's calling you a fucking loser because you won't get laid. If he said, if you want to have the respect of your peers, you need to be able to strive to be the best of what you can do. Now, that's a pillar of society. Right. Right. But, but but it wasn't it wasn't just about getting laid and having sex with girls in my own age group, which is kind of fucking weird because now I'm 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 52. Um, But the thing is that it was just like nobody wants anything to do with a homebody who can't function in society. And it's not just members of the opposite sex or members of the same sex. If that's, if that's your, your preference, the, the, the the thing that we are failing to tell kids in this day and age is that just to be able to function and provide for yourself, you have to be good at something you have to have a passion for a vocation if and this is the other thing that my dad had said and i admire him for saying this if you want to be a male nurse you go ahead and you be the best male nurse you can possibly be because people want to be with you because you're the best if you want to be a helicopter pilot you go be the best helicopter pilot you can be if you want to be a photographer be the best photographer you can be. And then he got freaking crass. But whatever right. it is that you want to be, be the best at it because people love hanging around winners. Nobody wants to hang around with somebody who stays at home all weekend reading comic books or or, or somebody who um, 
no no woman wants to be with a man who plays with dolls all weekend. And that's what he called action figures. You know? <laughs> like one time I brought home a whole bunch of collectible Star Wars figures. And he's like, oh, you're back to playing with dolls now? <laughs> and he would he would go off on this expl- explanation. No woman wants to go home with a man who has his bedroom as a shrine to Star Trek. But a woman would want to go home with a man who has the kind of bedroom Captain Kirk might have with all of these like these little trophies of all the place from all the places where he's been and all of his accomplishments. Right. You know, um, best male mud wrestler from Alpha Centauri. That's what women <laughs> want. Nobody wants this shit. And you have this explanation. You, you, you know, nobody, nobody wants a, a shrine to Indiana Jones. But what a woman really wants is the kind of um, den Indiana Jones might have. Right. And, and or, I'm, you know, or be that Indiana Jones. Yeah. You know, you know? It, and that's that's so. Again, it's speaking as the father of three young women. Right. The fact that your father kept phrasing things around getting laid is disturbing to me. Oh, yeah, it was disturbing. It was disturbing to me. And I was 19 years old. Yeah. You know, and and it's so there's there's a part of me that likes some of the messages. But how do you alter the message to deliver it in a more palatable manner according to today's standards? And the truth is you can't. To some extent, you can't because nowadays with the Internet, the Internet has changed so much that you will be able to if if all you're interested in is comic books, you will find someone who you find attractive or who you are attracted to who is into comic books just as much as you are. And they will find it sexy that you are you have a bedroom absolutely filled with you know gold standard editions of like you know the the judas contract from the titans you know and yes i'm a geek i know that so you know i mean it's it's easier now to find like minds than it was when we were younger because the internet has made our modes of communication so much easier for us you can find people of like interest now when years ago you couldn't, right? You had to luck out and be in an area where there was someone you found cute in a shop that you went to because you liked the stuff in the shop and then you had to have the courage to strike up a conversation with them. And you know what I mean? It was more difficult then. Now it's easier. You you go online, you post in a forum and they reply and then you start this conversation You don't even know what each other looks like. So in some ways, not having that physical attraction element actually does make it a bit easier on you to engage in that conversation with that person as a person, not as a potential sexual conquest, right? but just as a human fucking being. And it's that human connection that we're all really looking for in life or should be anyway. You know, when, when I think of like, the messages that I would I would tell my kids growing up, I always tried to phrase them and frame them in such a way about how they get to choose who they associate with and who they 
deal with on a day-to-day basis to some extent. You can't pick your coworkers, but you can pick which coworkers you're going to hang out with after work. Exactly. You know what I mean? And like my kids, I have three girls and a boy. I took them all out shooting. I taught them all how to use a knife. I taught them all how to, you know, how to fill up the gas in the car and change the oil. And, you know, I, I, I don't honestly remember if I ever taught any of them how to change a tire. I don't think it ever came up, so I never thought of it. Right. But you know what I mean? I, I, I didn't differentiate what I was teaching my daughters versus my son because I don't think it matters. You know, each one of my kids, when they turned 13, received a gun. They received a 22 rifle. Well, except my oldest, because at the time I couldn't afford one. So she actually got one from her uncle, and it was a 20-gauge shotgun. But each one of my kids received a gun for their 13th birthday. And they were taught how to safely use it. They were taught how to clean it. They were taught the proper care of it and proper behaviors when using it. You know what I mean? They were taught the four rules of gun safety. It's important that you do that, you know? And I tried not to make too much of a difference between gender. And I've got a good relationship with my kids now. My kids all seem to be doing good. None of them are, well, a few of them are in therapy, but right. none of them are in jail. None of them are addicted to drugs. You, you know what I mean? They're either gainfully employed or seeking gainful employment because they lost their last job for whatever reason. Right. Thank you, pandemic. Right. COVID fucked a lot of things up. Oh, yeah. You know, like three of my kids had their lives completely derailed by COVID, you know, and they're trying to recover from that now. But it's, you know, when when I see things like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock across the face, I don't care. Because there's a part of me that's like, all right, is he slapping Chris Rock across the face because Chris Rock said something that insulted his wife? Is he slap? Is that the message you want to send? It's okay to hit people because they insult your your spouse. I don't necessarily think so. But at the same time, I, I look at it this way, right? A gentleman doesn't shirk from, avoids violence as much as possible, but doesn't shirk from it when it's needed. Right. And the trick is finding out when it's needed, right? But when it's needed, you go all in, right? And that doesn't, you know, I use the term gentleman, but it doesn't matter if you're talking about a man or a woman. You know, you've got to read the situation and come up with the appropriate response. I don't think Chris Rock should have been slapped for what he said, a joke he made. However, comma, if we see viewership in the Oscars going up next year because there, no one was talking about the political speeches that anybody made. And everyone's talking about how Will Smith. Oh, there were political the speeches? drama. What's that? Oh, what? There were political speeches? I, I, I didn't know that. I have no idea if there were. I, 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 I don't either. But that's my point. The Oscars are better served by Will Smith slapping Chris Rock than they are by having Gwyneth Paltrow or whoever tell me that I'm an asshole because I'm a white male and therefore I'm a racist Nazi. You know? Yeah. They, they wonder why people are turning these events off. And then something like this happens and someone somewhere is going to, if they haven't already, if this is not a manufactured, you know, scandal, then... They've found the clue to get people to give a shit about the Oscars. I want to see someone else get slapped at the yeah. next Oscars, right? And I do wonder if it was scripted. I do wonder if it was something that everyone pretty much knew about. You know, I mean, I 
was was the crowd like outraged or anything like that? What was what was the response from the crowd? There's apparently there are people clapping in the background, but I mean, that's the thing. I've only watched the clip once. Right. But still, I mean, if the crowd wasn't, you know, all gasping and stuff, then they must have thought it was a gag is my guess, because as far as I know, Chris Rock and Will Smith knew each other and were at least friendly, if not friends, you know, and especially if you're a comedian like Chris Rock, having someone come up and slap you for a joke you made. Yeah. You know, have one of your friends come up and yeah, maybe they really slap you. But, you know, if Will Smith was really outraged, he would have beat the shit out of Chris Rock. Yeah. You know, so I mean, how much of that is manufactured? So I look at that and I don't care about that. You know, I've, I've, I've got a daughter who's struggling financially. She's making her own way. They're they're making decent money. They're able to pay their bills, but they're yeah, it's tight. So I worry about her. I have another daughter that recently moved out on her own. I have another daughter who's getting ready to move out after she had to move in because COVID canceled their the jobs that she and her boyfriend had. You know, I've got uh, my son who's really got fucked up. His entire scholastic career got derailed by covid yeah now he's trying to decide if he wants to go to college and how do you do that at age 20 versus age 18 when you're right out of college or right out of high school right you know what i mean the pandemic really fucked up a lot of things you know i've got a i've got a kid living with me who's trans right now and she's going through some shit and it's her senior year in high school yeah you know and I got to tell you, the trans kid is the only one of kid on one, the only one of my kids that is into sports at all. Right. And she's not trying to get on the basketball team at the local high school. She inquired about it and they said, well, if you want to try, you know, we'll, we'll see what the laws are. We don't really know right now. But she didn't. She decided she didn't want to because she didn't want to have to deal with any of the things that go along with that. Now, you could say that she's a coward or you could say she's going through some shit and she knows her limitations, you know? I don't really care that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. I don't. I care more that Leah won a gold medal in a competition she probably shouldn't have been in. And we need to decide as a society how much do we sacrifice from the group for the sake of the individual. And here's a question I wanted to ask you as a dad of three young women. Mm -hmm. How would you have felt... If they came in second or third because they had to compete with somebody who used to be a biological male or was born a biological male and they had, I gotta say, I, I, I would be struggling with it. I would not be happy about the situation. I mean, my kids didn't compete in sports, not because I'm against sports. I'm not a huge sports fan, but I'm not against sports or organized sports at all. However, when they were handing out participation trophies, I was like, okay, so every single valuable life lesson that comes from doing sports has been completely invalidated and removed from everything. You know, play the game to have fun is great, but you've got to learn how to deal with adversity. I learned how to deal with disappointment when I was on the baseball team and we lost. That's how I learned how to deal with disappointment. And I got good advice from the adults that were around me, my parents, the coach, you know, first time we lost a game, the coach pulled us aside and said, this is what's going to happen in life. There's going to be things that are going to happen that don't go the way you want them to. And it's OK. It is OK. You're going to be fine. We'll try harder at the next game. And when we go to practice, we'll review what we did right and what we did wrong. And we'll 
we'll evaluate and we'll learn from this and we'll get better. That's a valuable life lesson you don't get when you don't keep score. When everyone gets a trophy, you're telling them that you don't have to try and the effort you put into anything doesn't really matter. And now we have people that are quitting good jobs because they feel they're beneath them. Oh, I'm sorry. So when I was a kid and I was like cleaning up bathrooms as my first part-time job, should I have felt that was beneath me? Yeah. No. Or should I have been just appreciative that I had a damn job, did the best I could, and then moved out of it? Because trust me, I've cleaned more than my share of bathrooms. Oh, exactly. And that's that's my point. You're not going to leave college and get a job making sixty, eighty thousand dollars a year. You're just not. It's just not going to happen. Th- those those days are over, Buck. Those days, oh, if are, they ever existed, if they I ever doubt. existed. But and it, I want to be able to make sure that I make this clear to the listeners. Mm-hmm. One of the most important life lessons my father taught me was when we used to hike old roadbeds. And we would start at point A and we would hike, we would walk until we reached point B. There was no turning back because I would mm-hmm. leave my car at point A and he would leave his truck or van or, or whatever piece of shit he was driving at point B. And everything that we had, all of our provisions, our water, our snacks were after the hike. And, and you know, um, whatever keys that i had you know we we you know were waiting for us like the house key was waiting at point b right so unless i wanted to get in the car and then drive you know all the way back we, I mean, we had to get to the end no matter what there was no turning back and right. that taught me grit and there were many many horrible lessons that i learned from my dad there were bad things that oh no this is beneath you you know, um, that kind of thing. Oh, that girl's beneath you because she's too fat. Dump the bitch. She's fat. That kind of lesson he taught me was a fucking bad lesson. And thankfully, right. I never listened to him. Um, but that, whereas it's like, you don't quit. Don't be a fucking quitter. Don't be a whiner because everybody else is going through the same shit. Nobody wants to hear you fucking whine. Nobody wants to hear that shit. They have their own things that they're going through. Don't tell the world all of your problems unless you want to give them ammunition to use against you in the future. There are some things you should keep to yourself. There's a reason why we call private lives private lives. Right. But at, at the same time, though, it's also important to have people you can bitch and whine to who are going to either give you advice or commiserate with you, depending on what's going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, those that's another important lesson in life to learn is you've got to learn who you can trust. I just want to know, what are we doing to our society? And I'm, I know that you might have, I don't know how much time do you have left? I got about 20 minutes. Okay. What the fuck are we doing to our kids by, by allowing them to grow up, to be the kind of people who go to the shift supervisor or the shift lead and say, Eric needs to be fired because he's too masculine. And when they say, what exactly did he do that was so wrong? He's just too masculine. How, how the fuck were you able to get out of bed and leave the house with that kind of mindset? Well, my question is, why did you get spoken to about it? Why didn't the company look at them and say, okay, this is a bad mark against you. You can't get other people fired because you don't like them. 
You have to learn to get along with the other people you're working with. If you have a specific complaint, if he said or done something, we will take action on it. But you can't just come and say, I don't like him, fire him. And that's what you're doing when you can't identify a specific right. thing. Right. The tone of my voice why was, was... Why was that... Right. Why was that put upon you and not upon them? Because that's reinforcing that they can do that. Oh, he got spoken to. I'm sure he got written up. Because you know that's what they're thinking. Oh, no. They, they You know, the, the, the supervisor who told me this kind of like rolled his eyes. Because... Yeah, to you. But did he roll his eyes I, to them? I don't know. I because I, I wasn't there, but right. I, and I my suspicion is that he didn't. And that's what I'm saying is right. that even if you did get spoken to, I would hope that the other person got spoken to as well. But that's not what I'm seeing when I hear these things. Right. You know, like my daughter is basically a supervisor at her job and she will she has the ear of the manager where she works. And she will sometimes say, you know, oh, she was telling me this, that, or the other thing. And I've never heard her say, so-and-so complained about this, so I told them they needed to deal with it, right? She's always said, so-and-so told me about this, and now I need to figure out how I need to deal with it. And in certain circumstances, it is a management issue. That's why you're a manager. You have to learn how to deal with that shit. But in other instances, especially in some of the examples that she's given me, there's a part of me that's like, why aren't you talking to them? How is that a problem? That is not a problem. Like, you know, Eric's too masculine. All right, cool. I'll tell him he needs to shave his beard. What the fuck am I supposed to do with that? What do I do with that information what now, is, Jay? Right. What is your point? What action do you expect me to take? Well, I expect you to fire him. All right, well, here's the deal. You come at me with another thing like this again where you have no basis. He hasn't violated any laws. He hasn't broken any of our rules of conduct. He hasn't done anything that he's not supposed to do. He hasn't sexually harassed you in any way, shape, or form. You're coming at me with no evidence. Therefore, you now have a black mark against you because you cannot just accuse people of things. You have to have a valid reason behind it. And now, because you've come to me with bullshit, you need to be aware that the next time you come to me with a complaint about somebody, even if it's valid, I'm going to investigate the hell out of it because I doubt your motivation. Right. Why is that conversation not being had? Why do we feel like we have to count? And I think that that's my, and that's, and that's my point. That's my point about all of this, because the thing is, what is, what is this doing to our society? If we're allowing these grown children, these children, they're basically children over the age of 18. Yeah. Go into the workplace. And, and I think I know who it is who ratted me out for being too masculine. Right. And I and I and I hate to say this in my defense, this person was probably one of the most useless people I have ever met in my life who could not function without right. without mommy holding his hand at every but, step of his life up until that moment. You and I had a conversation about how somebody went to a job interview with yep. his mother. Right. And the mother wanted to come on the interview with him. And I said, all right, well, the interview's over. She said, oh, so well, why is the interview over? And I said, if he can't function with you in a job interview, how can I expect him to come, to function at his job? And she looked at me like, how dare you say that? And I looked at her like, okay, have a good trip. Drive safe going home. Thank you for coming in. Yeah. And when I told my boss, he was like, oh, you can't say that. I'm like, well, apparently I can because I did. Yeah. I'm like, 
what was I supposed to do with that? What, how was I supposed to respond to that? Okay, mom, you can come on the job interview with him. This is a valuable life lesson. You know what? He got another valuable life lesson. And that is mommy doesn't know everything. I, I would want to hang myself if my mother insisted on coming on a job interview with me. Right. And that's, I mean, that's something that they use in movies for, to, to make an example of people. And it's, you know, mom, cut it out. You know what I mean? Dude, cut the unbiblical cord. Jesus. Right. Up until the age of like maybe 15, I was that fucking dork until I realized, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to learn how to be a fucking man. I need to learn how to be a grown up. Do you think, do you think fucking Han Solo was flying around in the fucking galaxy with, with, with his mom or his best friend, the Wookiee, which fucking is it? Right. You know, I mean, you think about all the masculine men out there. Do you think they're there? Do you think that Clint Eastwood went to the gun range with his mommy and said, remember, Clint, safety first? No. And it was a what's wrong with a mom who won't let his let her boy become a man? See, that's the other thing that bothers me about this whole thing, too, is like. At what point do you think your child is going to be prepared for life? Your job as a parent is to prepare your child for life. Everything is not going to be sunshine and roses, no matter how much you want it to be for your child. You are doing your child a disservice if you don't let them have adversity in their lives. They need to. And it needs to start at home with, I made dinner. I don't like dinner. Well, you have a choice. You either eat what I make or you don't eat. Yeah. You know? And I he- mean, there, there has to be limits. They have to have those limits. And the reason why pe- kids push those limits is because they want to know what those limits are. They want to know what is okay and what is not okay. They want to know what is good, what is bad. They're trying to figure out the world, and it's your job as a parent to show them about the world. And catering to their every whim does them no favors. Well, I just want them to have a better childhood than I did. What was so wrong with your childhood? Were you abused? Okay, don't hit your kid. Don't be emotionally abusive to your kid. You know, if you've got to sort out your own shit, but you know what? I had some bad things happen in my life, but overall I had a good childhood. You know, I'm one of the lucky few that seems to be in such a minority nowadays. My parents are still married. Did they go through some shit? Yes. And they worked through it. I struggled with getting divorced. I really did. But looking at it, there's certain things you have to accept that you're going to tolerate in life and things that you're not going to tolerate. And I reached my limit and I feel good for having stood up for myself and said, no, this is not acceptable. And if this is what you want, then we're done. You know, you've got to learn that and you've got to learn how to stand up to bullies in life. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I, one of my proudest moments of my childhood is when I stood up to a bully. Oh yeah. Kid was picking on me, was pushing me around, and I had enough. And I stood up to them. And I learned a valuable lesson because that bully stopped bullying me because I wasn't an easy target. Bullies go after the easy targets. Always have, always will. And another dirty little secret, most bullies have a shit home life. Yep. Because their parents are bullying them. That doesn't mean it's okay for them to do it to some other someone else, though. And we need to stop coddling these people. You know, and it, I had, we had a very tense discussion in my house a few weeks ago, several weeks ago now, I think, about pronouns. 
I'm like, you're trans. I'm going to try and use the proper pronouns when I'm in when referring to you and talking to you. But my son is telling me he's non-binary. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to contribute to your political statement. Oh, it's not a political statement. Yes. Yes, it is. Show me the disorder that means that you're non-binary. Show me the mental disorder that defines what someone is nine, what it means to be non-binary. Because I can look up sexual dysmorphia. I can look up and see what that is. But just because it's not defined doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Actually, basically, yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So I am not going to enable a political view that I disagree with, and neither should you. If you disagree with my politics, I've always encouraged you to disagree with me. If you don't agree with what I say, don't just meekly accept it, but don't come at me and say, that's wrong, dad, and not have a reason. You need to be able to discuss things. And just because we disagree doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean that I don't care about your opinion. It just means we disagree. And you can disagree with people and still care about them and still want them as part of your life. When did we get rid of that? When was that no longer an American value? When was that no longer valuable in society of any country? See, the thing is, if my dad was here today, he would say when when the pussies <laughs> and the twinks outnumbered the rest of us. They don't, though. I, I See, that's the thing. They don't. For whatever reason, we've allowed a minority to dictate over the majority. And that's no different where we need to. And this is the hard balancing point, right? We need to not let the majority run over the minority, but we can't let the minority dictate to the majority either. There has to be a balance. There has to be a middle of the road. You can't tell me you're offended and expect me to change what I'm doing to conform to, conform to some standard that you made up because I'm not going to do it because the fact that you're offended offends me. What are you going to do about that? I don't want to hear about you being offended. The fact that you're offended offends me because it means you want to stifle my freedom of speech that's, and that's you don't exactly have that authority. What that, that exactly no one what does. that means. Right. You know, but you talk to some of these kids about it and they're like, yeah, but you, it's, it really hurts. I'm like, you know what else really hurts? A fist to the nuts. <laughs> that really hurts too. I don't like doing that, but. To be honest with you, you have a choice to be offended. You don't have a choice to get hurt when someone punches you in the gonads. You know, there are things you can do in life and you can choose your reactions to things. One of the things I used to say all the time when my kids were younger is you need to take action and not react. And what that means is you have a choice. Something happens. What are you going to do as a result of that? Someone said a mean thing to me. Okay, are you going to cry? Are you going to say something mean back to them? What are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to think of a different answer that I haven't thought of? Because you need to be able to do that. You need to deal with the diversity in your life and adversity. Not everything is going to go your way. People are going to say hurtful, mean things to you. Some of them are going to say them just because they know it's going to hurt you because there are assholes in this world. And it's my job as a parent to prepare you for that. Well, that's just toxic masculinity. No, that's right. get ready for fucking life. Yeah. Buckle up, buttercup. Here it goes. That's what happens in life. And I know and I know that by me ending this on this note, I'm going to get us into some, some trouble. I know that this is going to spark a very heated conversations, mm -hmm. ex including what my dad would call a limp fairy. In particular. Yeah. 
who is probably one of the most useless people that I've ever encountered in the retroverse. I think we need to start holding other men accountable again. And maybe we ought to bring back shame. Shame should be making a comeback towards the men who will not engage in life and people who are more concerned about being woke than it is about accomplishing anything or doing anything. Because one of the things that I've noticed is that the same men who cry and whine about wokeism and toxic masculinity are some of the most useless people I have ever encountered in my life who don't contribute anything. They're takers. They're consumers. They live off the public suckle of the teat of generosity in society. They don't do anything except for whine and complain about how things should be better, but they don't do anything besides whine and cry and protest. Well, I, I would throw a few caveats in there. One, I think there is a time and a place to protest. I, I there agree. Are, there, there are things that protest is a way of drawing attention to something. Um, setting buildings on fire is not a protest. No. That's a riot. That's arson. People should go to jail for that kind of shit. Um, you and I talked about like the truckers, for example. I was all behind the Freedom Convoy in Canada, and then they started blocking traffic, and I'm like, that's not cool. Yeah, you, you crossed that. that line. You crossed the line. You can't do that. It wasn't right when they were doing it at the um, Occupy Wall Street, and it's not right now. You've got to be able to know and identify right and wrong. You have to in life. And you have to define what your version of right and wrong is. And we do yeah. have to find a balance between the needs of the few and the needs of the many. You know, we, it was the classic line from Star Trek. Yeah, you know, Wrath of Khan. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Yeah. Right? That's a very collectivist ideology. I'm not generally for collectivism. I'm generally against collectivism. However, there is a point in time when if you don't want to conform to what the many are doing, you need to have the strength to stand as the one. Because I also agree with what Captain America said during in Civil War, and now they gave that line to someone else in the movies, but it was originally a Captain America's line, where he said, when the people, I, I got to see if I can get this quote right, because it's a wonderful quote. We're both scrambling here looking up Captain yeah. America quotes. All right, so this is during civil during the Civil War and the conflicts, and Captain America is talking to Spider-Man, and he says, it doesn't matter what the press says. doesn't matter what the politicians or the mob say. doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something wrong is something right. This nation was founded on one principle above all else, the requirement that we stand up for what we believe, no matter the odds or the consequences. When the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. I agree with that sentiment too. You have to know what's right and you have to know what's wrong. And when your version of right is forcing other people to change to some extent, that means your version of right is not right. It's a fine line. We have to live in society. You either have the strength to stand on your own or you need to conform to those in society who are going to provide for you. That's all there is to it. Yeah. 
it, it's all a version of what we grew up with. My house, my rules. You don't like my rules, move out. Yeah. And I think we're doing our children a great disservice when we don't teach them how to understand those lessons. That's it, Jay. That's the show. That's that's the high point that we're leaving it at today. Thank Sounds you. Sounds good. Thank you for a great show. Thank I, you. I, I, I want to thank Chris Rock and Will Smith for giving us the show topic <laughs> this week. <laughs> Yeah, I think next week we should probably do paranormal. Yeah, we, we, we have some paranormal stuff that we need to, uh, to to get to, but I think that we needed to have this conversation about what does it take to be a man. Absolutely. All right. I'll talk to you later, buddy. All righty. Congratulations on surviving another episode of the Fedora Chronicles radio show. Find out more about the Fedora Chronicles by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our show notes, past episodes, and articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram by simply searching for us on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so that you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, fedorachronicle at google.com are great ways to drop us a line with your comments and show topic suggestions and if it's any good we promise we will read your comment on the air support the show by contributing to our patreon page patreon.com slash fedora chronicles for a mere dollar a month you get early access to the podcast updates on what we're doing and for five dollars a month you get all that and a t-shirt and coffee mug of your choice Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash store slash Fedora Chronicles. The theme songs for the show are Royal Flush and Black Cabaret by All of Music. All other music on the show is listed on the show page and has been provided to us by Premium Beats from Shutterstock. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2020, all rights reserved. On behalf of my co-host Jason and I, this is Eric Renner-King-Fisk signing off and reminding you to keep your chins up and your fedoras on. <laughs>